1964, Bob Dylan penned this uh, classic lyric, and I'd like to read it for you, just a section of it. Come gather round people wherever you roam, and admit that the waters around you have grown, and accept it, and soon you'll be drenched to the bone if your time to be worth it is saving. Then you better start swimming, or you'll sink like a stone, for the times, they are a-changing. Times are changing. We live in a world of constant change. Tolstoy said this, that everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. Everybody wants to change the world, but nobody wants to change himself. So I want to give you an example of just how dramatically the world has changed. And this is sound bites from the past. We'll see how well you do. We may not get through all of them, but uh, let's just start with some of those and let's see if you can identify this soundbite. Soundbite number one. Let's hit it. All right. Anybody know what that is? Who said uh, baseball card no smoke of a bicycle? You got it. All right. You don't get anything, but good job. Okay. Number two. Let's see if you get number two. We have a big show for you tonight. Ed Sullivan. All right. Okay. Number three. Number three. I can't believe I ate that whole thing. <laughs> How many remember that commercial? All right. Let's drop down to number seven. This ought to be a good one. Drop down to number seven. How many remember De Plain, De Plain, Fantasy Island? All right. That brings back some good memories. Okay. Let's drop down to number 10. Now, this is one not too long ago. What is this one? Anybody? Credit card swiper. Remember the old credit card swiper? Good times. And then here's the last one. How many remember that sound? Uh, we can go back in time and think of all the sound bites. Sometimes you hear something, boy, it'll just take you back. We live in a world of constant change. Now, here's why that's so important. In a world that's changing dramatically right before us, we have God's word that never changes. We have the breath of God. We have the word of God that moves through our life with absolute truth. And that is critical. One of the things I'd like us to do this morning is to read Isaiah 40, verses 7 and 8 together. Isaiah 40, verses 7 and 8 together. Are you ready? It's up on the screen. Here we go. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Isn't that awesome? That in a world that is constantly changing, this never changes. And as I thought about a world that's constantly changing and a word that never changes, what I wanted to do is go back and say, is there a particular theme that flows all the way through Scripture? That is an, not only an absolute truth, but I believe it's our marching orders. And I believe there really is a theme. And it starts in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord your God, love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. 
And they would cling to that. Matter of fact, he said, you gather your family and when you walk and when you talk and when you share, every time you stand up, every time you sit down, you cling to these words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Then you fast forward to the New Testament and you get to Matthew chapter 22. And what I love about that is the Pharisees are trying to pin Jesus down. They said, you know, there's over 600 commandments. Can you... Can you give me the most significant, the most important commandment of all? And what does Jesus quote Deuteronomy chapter 6? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And then he adds a spiritual caveat. What's he say? And love your neighbor. And here's what they didn't like. Who's your neighbor? And Jesus through his life and Jesus through his words demonstrated this. The neighbor is everyone. It's the fisherman, it's the shepherd, it's the tax collector, it's the prostitute. Your neighbor is loved by God. You love God, but here's the key, God loves everyone. And then Jesus goes on to say in Luke 9, if anyone comes after me, he would deny himself, take up his what, cross, and follow me. So he's painting this picture, he says, you're to love God with all your heart. You're to love your neighbor. And every day you recommit to Jesus Christ. Every day you pick up the cross. Every day you surrender to me. Now you hold on to those words. And then you fast forward. And it isn't hundreds and hundreds of years. Really, it's only about 20 to 25 years when I did some research. And you get to Colossians. Now what you need to understand about Colossians chapter 3 is when Paul is writing to the church of Colossae, he's writing to this amazing this amazing port city where people from, are coming from all over the world. And he's saying to them, listen, I know that there are a lot of false doctrines out there. I know that there's not just uh, Judaism and there's all these other religions and false teachings out there. And you're struggling with where does Jesus fit in? But I want you to know something. I want you to know that there is an absolute truth and there is within that absolute truth, there are marching orders to love at a deeper level. And what I love is he shares a message that is, only, is not only relevant, but it's extremely practical for them, and it's practical for us. And if you'll turn with me there, in verse 12, I love how he begins, and he uses a classic example. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and loved, clothe yourselves. Now, why is that important? Because they could completely understand every day you do that out of habit. You clothe yourself. Now, I got to be honest, when you break 50, you want to get clothes on as fast as you can. You know what I'm saying? So I don't wake up in the morning and think, I, I got to put some extra clothes. No, I, that's just an automatic, you clothe yourself. Now, I thought about Father's Day, and uh, isn't it interesting if you think back over the years, clothing on Father's Day? What would it look like if you were here at Sherwood Oaks in 1953? Here's what dads would probably look like. Here's what, yeah, pretty classy, weren't they? Here's my favorite, 1973. <laughs> Can I just pause for a second? <clears throat> I'm a child of the 70s. How many remember that, uh, that incredible era? Men who wore those suits showed up in that. I remember this. And, if, and I was talking to someone, we had a Bible study the other night at the Cloverleaf, and somebody said, tell me about a leisure suit. I said, Here, here's what's amazing about a leisure suit. First of all, it 
had the gaudiest, ugliest colors you've ever seen. You guys remember that? Powder blue rust. You remember that? But I said that wasn't the worst part of it. These guys my age would have these leisure suits. They would take off their leisure suit and there would be this silk shirt. You remember that? So you might have a rust leisure suit and you have a silk shirt with like a, the whole Grand Canyon on it. Do you remember that? That was such a weird time. I am so glad that is behind us. Okay. 1993. You'd see somebody come to church. It might look kind of like this. Not bad. And then here's the one that I like is today. <laughs> Come as you are. And you're going to see everything. Now, I've got to be honest. Uh, my daughter asked me about this last night. I said, um, Danielle, if I could wear anything to church, what would shock people the most? And she said, don't wear a suit and tie. That would shock everybody. I grew up, I'm, I can tell you, I grew up. Wearing, how many wore the clip-on? Anybody here as a kid? Was that a bad memory? Yeah, remember that? Clip-on ties. I think it's so important to look at that whole idea of clothing yourself with the power of that. What he's saying is, every day, that if we do these things, and you live out Christ, and people see the way you treat others, the way Christ treated you, that's the game changer. That's a church that will stand the test of time to love this way. So let's unpack Colossians 3 for just a few moments here. He teaches us, first of all, to clothe yourself, and I love the phrase compassion. Now, what does that mean? It means to love others and to love them with everything within you. In the original Greek language, when they talked about compassion, they didn't say to reach out to somebody and that you you love them with all your heart. Now, this is interesting. They would say they would love love somebody with your bowels. In other words, do you feel it in your gut? Now, i got to be honest, loving somebody with your bowels, I mean, that doesn't make a good Hallmark card. You complete me. Can you imagine that? You complete me. My bowels overflow with joy. I mean, that doesn't flow. How about a country western song? Don't burst my bowels, my achy, breaky bowels. I mean, do <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It doesn't go anywhere. But it, I'm, so glad, I'm so glad Brian and Dick. First of all, isn't it awesome to see a father and son share communion and all. I'm telling you what, that, that's awesome. They talk about coaching, and a coach does this, I can remember hearing this all the time. At critical points of a game, the coach would huddle us in and he'd say, gut check, gut check. Now what's he saying? He's not talking about your gut, what's he talking about? Your heart. Do you want this? Do you want this? Make something happen. And I believe sometimes we need a gut check. I think a great way to think of the word compassion is just take out the letter M. It's co-passion. In other words, when you see somebody that's hurting, you don't just see it. You feel it. You feel it. Uh, I was proud of our volleyball girls, uh, varsity volleyball girls last year. Uh, they played uh, a team, I believe it's Terre Haute, and uh, one of the girls on Terre Haute the night before uh, her brother in high school died in his sleep. Just a tragic freak death. And uh, she wanted to play. So after the game, uh, the coach said, this was a tough night for all of us. And our girls, I'll get through this, shook their hands. And then afterwards in the foyer, I saw them all hugging one another. And the coach from the other team sent an article to the paper and said, tonight I learned that there's something bigger than volleyball. And it's compassion. Compassion is when you, you feel it for somebody else. And it, 
makes all the difference. And then he follows that up with the word kindness. Now, Andy Stanley had a, a definition for kindness that I absolutely love. It's loaning your strength to someone else's weakness. Isn't that great? You loan your strength to somebody else's weakness. And i got to be honest with you, we need more kindness. John Wooden said, you can't live a perfect day without doing something for someone who will never be able to pay you back. Kindness. Do we reach out on a regular basis? I have what I call the Lego theory. This is very tragic. Since 1990, there has been a significant increase on Lego plastic faces of looks of stress and anguish. Isn't that amazing? We don't need more random acts of kindness. We need kindness every day. And we can find ways to help. Matter of fact, I think these words are critical. How can I help you? How can I help you? Humility. Humility is approaching everyone as a peer. Jesus was so humble. It's more important to be interested than it is to be interesting. Do you know what I love about Jesus so much? Jesus was a great listener. When you read his encounters with the woman at the well, with Zacchaeus, isn't it amazing how well he listened? And how well we need to just listen, to just see where people are at, and that we are humble. But then you get to verse 14, and it says, and above all of these virtues, put on what? Love. Because love binds them all together in perfect unity. Love. Now that word he uses, love, is of course the word agape, which means unconditional love. But there's a Hebrew word that I want to just camp on for just a few moments that uh, uh, I found a while back. And man, I have, uh, I have fallen in love with this Hebrew word about love. And it's the word ahuvah. Would you say that with me? Ahuvah. Just sounds like you're clearing your throat. It's a good thing. Ahuvah. But here's what I love about ahuvah is what it really stands for. Matter of fact, we've got a great example of that this morning. If you've been married over 25 years, would you stand up? Anybody here married over 25 years, would you stand up? First of all, give yourselves a big hand as you looked around. Okay, you can be seated. Let me explain ahuvah because this is powerful, powerful stuff. Ahuvah is the will to love. Ahava is a decision to focus on commitment over emotion. It is not driven by butterflies, rainbows, sunsets, or Hallmark cards. It's everyday love. It's paying the bills. It's laundry. It's changing diapers. It's cleaning up puke. Ahava is fixing broken cars and surviving broken dreams. Ahava love is a commitment to the good days and the bad days. The days that break your heart and the days that stir your soul. Aha love is not the bachelor, it's not the bachelorette. It's gritty, it's blue collar, it is real. And I can't tell you how many times I've uh, had weddings, and you'll see these couples, and they, you know they got that goofy look on their eyes, and, and they're just, oh, love will carry us through. And I, I, from now on I want to say, you better have some ahava. You better have some ahava. Because let me tell you, when the honeymoon's over and you wake up, you're going to realize 
Life is not always easy. And you commit, you will yourself to love. That's the love that Christ is talking about. Not the easy stuff. That's easy. It's, it's easy when you see the superficial stuff that's all around us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it's interesting, when he was in prison uh, during the World War II, they allowed him to correspond with letters. So he got all these letters that came in, and he would write letters back. And one letter was a, a woman, it was the spring of the year, and uh, she wrote, Mr. Bonhoeffer, uh, I'm in love. And then she went on to explain. It was uh, that time of year, and she met this amazing young man. And, and then she asked the question, is there anything more amazing than young love? And Bonhoeffer replied, yes, old love. Young love is easy. But when you see a couple who's been married over 25 years, holding hands, ahava, that's love. That's love. And I tell you, it's what the world needs more of. I spoke at a, a tractor show a few uh, weeks ago, and it was a lot of fun. And they were setting up chairs, and they had an amen corner for me. That was pretty cool. So we're going to have a little amen action this morning, okay? So I'm going to share it. Now, here's what amen means, if you don't know. It's if you wholeheartedly agree, you say amen, okay? Uh, so let's practice. Uh, I love Tim Thompson. Not very enthusiastic. Oh, yeah, let's try it. Okay, I mean a little bit more than that. Okay, so I'm going to share a statement. If you wholeheartedly agree, give me an amen. Sometimes my kids or grandkids get on my nerves. Okay, sometimes I get on my kids' nerves. <laughs> you weren't nearly as enthusiastic. Okay, it drives me crazy when my kids make the same mistakes I made. At the end of the day, I would do anything for my kids. You know what that's called? Ahava. Matter of fact, it's interesting if you study the word, they said the greatest example relationship-wise is a parent and a child. Because there are times, that if we're honest, our kids disappoint us. And there are times at the end of the day, the bottom line is no matter what, we've got their back. Because Christ has our back. And that's why we're here this morning. We're here because of that love. I want to close this morning, and I know this is a short service, but it's Father's Day, so it's my gift to you. So here's, we're going to let you out early. Reggie Joyner is, um, is, is a speaker that um, worked for years with, at the North Point Church, and then he organized a, a whole movement. It's called Orange, and Orange is, is kind of a revolutionary curriculum philosophy uh, of taking God's word and moving it all through the family. So it's a great thing. And I heard him share something that he loves, to do, which I can't imagine this, but here's what he loves to do every year. Are you ready for this? He does this every year. On Christmas Eve, he goes to his favorite restaurant by himself and then goes to the largest mall in his area to do last minute Christmas shopping. And he absolutely loves it. Now, there's things that I would rather do than that, like beat myself with a stick. You know what I'm saying? Christmas Eve, why would you want to go into a mall? But he loves to do that. Well, on this particular Christmas Eve, he has his meal, 
and he's so excited, he's going to go right from the restaurant into the mall, and he just, he goes to the, to the restroom area, and as he goes to the restroom area, he notices there's this woman who's quite a few years older than him, and she just looks very worried. And he doesn't know why, but they have a little eye contact, and she approaches him, and she said, my husband has been in the restroom for a long time. Could you check on him? And he said, well, sure, I can do that. So he goes in the restroom, and then he realizes something. I don't even know this guy's name. I, so he, he's like, how did I get into this? So he, he, he kind of peeks under the stall, and he sees a couple of sets, sees a set of legs, and he knocks on the door, and he said, uh, sir, um, is everything okay? And he heard this voice almost trembling, said, no. And then he asked the word, the question, how can I help you? And he said, would you just open the door? And he opened it, and this older gentleman had soiled himself. And now he's crying. And he said, I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. And he said, tell you what, you just relax. I'm going to take care of this. He said, you just stay there. I'm going to help you get cleaned up. I'm going to go talk to your wife. She's very, she's very worried right, right now. So he goes out. And he talks to the wife. He said, he just needs to be cleaned up a little bit. We need to get him a, a pair of pants. Here's my credit card. Go to the nearest store and just get him a pair of pants. And then as soon as you can, and I'll take care of it. And the, the nearest store is Abercrombie. <laughs> so he's going to be the coolest dressed old guy in the mall. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that's what he does. She gets a credit card, takes the pants, takes it in, gets him all cleaned up. And everything's fine. But he said, here's the struggle that he had. He said, the flesh in me said... I can't believe how much time that took out of my day. He said, then God's spirit just came over him and said, and just why do you think you're at the mall today? We have an opportunity every day to love the way Christ loves us. But here's the key. Here's the absolute key. If we're going to love the way Christ loved us, it's going to be messy. See, that's the stuff we need to understand. When you coach 13-year-olds, when you get involved with your neighbors, when you invest in your kids and you invest in your grandkids, when you start spending time with folks that are hurting, guess what? It's going to get messy. And that isn't easy. And that's why we cling to God's word in a world that is changing so rapidly, we cling to the absolute truth because he loved us. We are called to love others the way that he loved us.